First, I apologize. I have a different translation or prepared a different translation of the gospel reading and uh, decided at the last minute we'll go with the one that was printed here in here. It is a great honor to be here tonight as we gather. And of course, last year we didn't have an ecumenical prayer service. Uh, many of us uh, were perhaps uh, isolating and uh, fearful, perhaps. Uh, uh, time will tell whether it was um, necessary or not, but uh, it is so good to be able to be here uh, tonight. There's something beautiful about the uh, first reading and the gospel reading, and, and I know uh, I'll probably be teased again about, Father, do you really know what you're doing? Choosing a reading that has to do with Mary for an ecumenical prayer service. It's not the first time I've made this mistake, because it's not a mistake. First, that first reading, to set the context, perhaps we know the book Daniel, uh, this week in the Catholic lectionary, uh, the weekday lectionary, we've been reading from the book of Daniel. And this is uh, a portion that we do not read, uh, but uh, we know the story perhaps of Daniel and the, the lion's den. That seems to be everyone's favorite. We might be somewhat familiar with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the dream that he had of the statue or, or other dreams that Daniel is able to prophesy. Or today uh, in our uh, liturgy we heard of the Belshazzar, his son, who sees the writing on the wall and is terrified. We might be somewhat familiar with even maybe the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, uh, like Daniel, are Jewish, brought into the court of the king, and there are seen for their wisdom, but are afflicted because they do not want to violate the law, the Jewish law. And so they are hounded, and eventually they are caught, and they are punished. They are tied up and thrown into the fiery white furnace, so hot that it killed the guards. And yet, these three men walk inside. King Nebuchadnezzar looking inside and saying, we tossed in three, did we not? There's four, and one seems like the Son of God an angel. And the text gives us the song of praise they were singing. In the midst of that fire, they were singing a song of praise. And I always find that wonderful and confusing at the same time. How can they be singing praise when their life is endangered? They should have been dead a thousand times over. And yet, they're not. In the fire, they understood they had to give thanks to God. They had to give praise to God. I look at our current day and age. Sometimes we talk about being in the fire. We're not, of course. And certainly not literally. And yet, do we have that same inclination as the Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, of turning and praising God. If we can't praise God in the fire, sometimes it might be understanding, but perhaps we need to change. And then this gospel passage of uh, Elizabeth and Mary, I, I think I would love it even if I weren't Catholic, but I especially love it because I am Catholic, that this uh, love and this this 
for lack of a better word, explosion of joy that, that Elizabeth, when she hears the greeting of Mary, the infant leapt in her womb, that she explodes in that, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And she is praising, but even more important, how Mary praises God. Unlike the three men in the furnace, well, Mary could have been, uh, we could look at her as having been asked to do the impossible, to remain a virgin until the birth of Jesus Christ. And as Catholics, of course, we believe that she remained a virgin after. But how, how is this to be? And we hear all of that in the, the Annunciation. But Mary herself knows she has to praise God. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That she turns to the Lord and gives thanks. And sometimes we might think it's easier to praise God in the good times. I don't think that's necessarily true. Unfortunately, I think sometimes when things are good, we forget about God. And when things are bad, when we're in that uh, figurative furnace, we think God doesn't care. We think that God somehow has forgotten us. And whether it's in the good times or in the bad, we need to give thanks to God. If we look at the history of the first Thanksgiving, which happened sometime about 400, well, 400 years ago this year, but sometime maybe a little earlier than late November. 102 pilgrims left and they landed in Plymouth. And that winter was rough. It, it took half of them, or almost half. 52 were left of 102. They had said good goodbye to friends, family, they said good goodbye to almost half of them. And starving. And perhaps we know the story of Squanto, a Native American who had ta been taught English. Squanto was uh, captured as a young man and taken to Europe. He was freed by Franciscans and he was taught English and returned, only to find that his tribe had been completely wiped out and attached himself to the tribe around where the pilgrims landed. And so he made himself known to these Englishmen. He recognized their language. The story is he asked for a beer. Isn't that ever so good? But he took care of them, and the tribe helped them and taught them. And in the fall, as they brought in the harvest, despite all the hardship, they were thankful, and they knew they had to give thanks. So they did it as uh, we humans tend to do around a meal. Probably not turkey and certainly not mashed potatoes, which were not in the new, new land yet. Maybe had mussels and lobster. For us, lobster is a novelty and it's something High, high end, but it wasn't in those, those days. And they invited the natives, and they thanked God. 
That's the first Thanksgiving. But in reality, the first Thanksgiving had happened some years before, too, as uh, Spanish Franciscans landed in Florida. Thank God for their journey that it was now complete and gathered and worshipped in an act of prayer. There's no meal, sometimes forgotten because we have a bias against uh, Spanish, perhaps, or too English, but it doesn't matter. The story is the same. They understood the inclination that we, they had to give thanks. And as we gather tonight, we know that this virus is still here. We know that sometimes our economy isn't so good. We, we know the price of gas. We know this and that and all these things. And we look at all the negatives. And we might say, well, what do we have to be thankful for? Well, we have so much to be thankful for. And as we hear in that second reading, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. That God does not hold back one spiritual gift. And the amazing thing is if we use those gifts, we have more. If we don't use them, we lose them. God has given us every spiritual gift that we have everything. And the question for, for us, a question that I find myself asking and, and I've asked a number of times in a number of places, a number of ways, if tomorrow all we had was the things we thank God for today, what would we have? Would we have anything? It's so easy to forget to thank God. Last week I visited the little preschoolers and kindergartners, and at one point I said, I was talking about Thanksgiving, I said, what do we have to be thankful for? And, and I said something about a mouse. Oh, we don't like mice. And I said, I thank God for mice when he keeps them far away from me. <laughs> if we can find the way to thank God for everything that he's given us, even if it's that we haven't had that problem, I think we'll be on the right track. Let us join with Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Let us join with Elizabeth, with Mary, with the pilgrims, with those Franciscan friars, with Guanto, with thousands, millions who have come before us. And thank God, whether they were in the fire or not, didn't matter. They knew they had to thank God.